the mark of the beast, the Antichrist, the lake of fire, the second death. These are images that flooded my adolescent mind alongside real-life stories of pastors in Soviet prisons and mental institutions. This was all alongside the ever-present possibility of a nuclear holocaust. Fast forward to today, we have Russian hackers, disinformation campaigns, fake news, conspiracy theories, and to top it all, a global pandemic. Surely, the stage is set. I'm Paul White, and this is Apocalypse, the Book of Revelation. Join me and my special guest and friend Pete Milner as we explore what God might be saying through this incredible book to us today. So hi everyone, and welcome again to my Sauntering Podcast, and I'm here again today with my great friend Pete, and we're looking at the Book of Revelation, the Apocalypse. And so today we're on chapter one. So Lord Jesus, help us and make this make sense to us and speak to us, even though some of it is a bit kind of more mysterious, perhaps, than some other bits of the Bible. Amen. Amen. So, Pete, I'm going to just read the first um, little bit that's called a prologue in mind. So here we go. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Wow. Well, there's a blessing for you then. Amen. Looking forward to that. Or I receive it. Yep. Um, One of the things that always strikes me about this one is literally verse one of chapter one, where it says this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I think you can take this in two ways. One, you could say this is the revelation that Jesus Christ has and is now given to us. But the other sense is like this is the revelation of the person of Jesus. Like he's being revealed in it. And some of the kind of pronouns and stuff are quite tricky, aren't they? Because Hebrew and Greek texts in scripture kind of have, and he told me he is coming over here to do this to him. And it's like, wait, 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 wait. he's doing, <laughs> he's doing what, what to, what to him? Yeah. Which God gave him to show to his servants. I think this is the apocalypse, the revelation, which God gave to Jesus to show to the servants of Jesus, to us. That's so cool, isn't it? And he... I love John there, given his little bit of credentials. He's John who bore witness to the word of God. And we know from John's gospel that he does precisely that, doesn't he? He talks about in the beginning was the word. So presumably he's kind of referencing that, do you think? I think so. Um, There's a lot of people that are keen to kind of separate revelation off from the gospel and letters of John. Mainly they do that because this is written in a substantially different way. Mm-hmm. So if you look at somebody's vocabulary and the kind of way they talk, the way they write, um, John's gospel and John's letters are really obviously one piece. And this one is stylistically different. It's um, 
like for in terms of vocabulary and grammar, it's different. And so it's led many people to the conclusion, oh, this probably wasn't John, son of Zebedee, one of the 12. Right. Increasingly, I'm thinking, A, it doesn't matter. But B, <laughs> actually, I, I'm up for calling this is this this John's. I'm yeah. up for it being the same John and the fact that he's writing in a different style, potentially at a very later time where our grammar and our use of a different language when living in another country probably does change. And I'm happy enough with that. And it's a very different kind of book, as we were saying in the intro. Mm. This is an apocalypse, isn't it? This yeah. isn't John writing to my dearly beloved brethren or whatever. This is yeah. him like, oh man, my whole life has been turned upside down by this encounter yes. with the Jesus I thought I knew. Yes. Whoa. And more than that, he is writing an apocalypse as an apocalypse. So people in those days read lots of apocalypses. They were a common genre. Like people read uh, vampire novels now, right? <laughs> there was a lot of apocalypses being produced. Yeah. And there was things about them that made them all the same. And right. John kind of substantially replicates some of that stylistic stuff. So interesting. But it's interesting as well, isn't it, that he puts in that statement um, about blessed are those who read it aloud. Mm -hmm. um, he calls it a prophecy. Blessed yeah. are those who hear and to keep what is written written in it for yeah. the time is near. And that's precisely, again, what you were saying in the intro that the whole point is to bring an urgency into our faith mm -hmm. that stops it being in the sweet by and by. Yes. Yeah. And, and as well, to give you a sense of the imminence, the, the nearness of the reward and the relief that will come after having survived the difficulty. Because wow. he is writing to a people that probably under the cosh in a big way. And Do we know what time it was written, roughly? I think it's best to see this as towards the end of the first century. Okay. Um, it's possible it was written substantially before that. Was it in after which case, Jerusalem After fell, Jerusalem yeah. fell, yeah, for sure, I think. Um, I could be wrong on that one and we'll only know at the end of days. But yeah. what he's doing is he's speaking to a people who survived disaster as a daily occurrence. Yeah. And what he's saying is not only is this all part of the big plan, but also the relief is near. You know, mm. one day there will be a day where there'll be no more crying, no more tears, no more disease, wow. no more yeah. suffering. And that is not that far off either. Wow. So it gives us encouragement to hang on, keep on sticking up with our faith and working at it. Brilliant. So reading on then, it says, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and was, sorry, is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is incredible. This is glorious. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold. He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and was, sorry, who is and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. That so, is fabulous, isn't gosh, it? Gosh, I mean, <clears throat> talk to me. I mean, this stuff here. Grace and peace to you, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. This is a really beautifully mm. packaged 
representation of God, isn't it? One of the beautiful things that Revelation does so well is it crowns the New Testament and it crowns the king of the New Testament, who is obviously so Jesus. true. Yeah. There are some books in the Bible which if you read them, you could kind of make out that Jesus was kind of a big deal, but not really that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Revelation is the one that makes it most unequivocal. This is Jesus and he is God. He is sitting on the throne of God. He is absolutely Lord of the cosmos. And John just waxes lyrical. Something glorious, doesn't it? It's fantastic, isn't it? Yes. I want to say something about the seven churches, if I can. Um, The thing is that these are seven specific churches. Mm -hmm. And what we have to do for John to be kind to him is to try and understand exactly what he meant when he wrote. And to do that, we have to do a little bit of interpretation. It's strange, for instance, for some people that he writes to the seven churches of the province in Asia, but he writes to those seven in particular. He could have added the Colossians to that list. He could have added the Magnesians and the Triellians and all sorts of other people who were part of that early Christian sure. community. But it's these seven in, in particular. So I think that what we should see when we see the seven messengers, the seven churches, the seven spirits, that what we're seeing is these seven in particular, but actually there's way more. And John they- is being given a specific message for a specific people. And so the the message would not just be limited in its relevance to that that seven, but would have common threads it would apply to the much bigger picture. Absolutely. I mean, in a very similar way to the other letters in the New Testament, which are, you know, this is Paul to the guys who live in Galatia, or this is Peter to the guys who are in Bithynia. And the truth in it and the lessons in it and the, the kind of glory of it is shared by the whole church and it's kept safe by the whole church and its meanings are unpacked for the whole church. So it's not just for them, but if we miss that direct thread, a lot of this level won't make sense. Right. Okay. So this is a real, these are specific churches that are really existing at the time of writing. Mm-hmm. And this is a prophetic message directed to them. Yeah. But that still has resonance and still lots and lots of meaning for us today, doesn't it? Absolutely. But don't you love this? This little summary of the gospel here, Pete, he says to him who loves us. I mean, that's Jesus. To Number him one. who loves us. It Goodness is. me. He's thinking about us already. He's yeah. got us in his heart. He's freed us from our sins, past tense, mm-hmm. by his blood. So again, this whole thing of without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Mm-hmm. That very strong theme of the book of Hebrews. And made us a kingdom, priest to his God. And father, but it's interesting as well because that's such a Jewish concept, isn't it? Kingdom of priests. Yeah. Um, but he's writing to churches that would be packed full of Gentiles as well, who yeah. had no heritage within that. Absolutely. I mean, you if if you take one thing from the fact that there's four gospels, then the thing you should take out of it is that it is the fulfillment of the expectation of the people of Israel, the Jewish nation, that have to do with the scriptures and secondly that it is a global universal message mm-hmm. it's for everyone and so Matthew's focus appears to have been to concentrate on the Jewish people and the Israelite history whereas Luke's focus is much more on the Gentiles and on everybody and the doctrine of the kingdom of God that is Jesus's main teaching mm-hmm. isn't it the kingdom yeah. of God it's like this it's like it's this here, it's like this it's hand, yeah. and both the Jewish believer of the time and the Gentile new believer at the time could appreciate that what God has done in Jesus is establish the kingdom on the earth 
where he is directly the king and we are directly the people, fulfilling the things that he said about the kingdom of Israel in mm-hmm. the olden days and also leading to a future where hopefully that kingdom will expand and take over the whole world, which is the plan. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. Woo-hoo! And then verse seven, behold, he is coming with the clouds, mm. which is precisely what the angels said to the disciples, wasn't it? When they were stood looking up, watching Jesus disappear into the clouds on the day of what we call Ascension Day. Yeah. And they said to him, this same Jesus he's is going to come back in the same way as he's gone. Yeah. So this, again, reinforces that sense. So we do have a bit of um, what you might say, end time, real key plank of end time understanding is that at the end of all things, that there will be this return of Jesus. Mm. Well, yeah. the end of all things as they have been, should we yes. say? Well, that was the quintessential question that people asked Jesus when they when he was here. Right. They said, you know, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you going to kick out the Romans? Are you going to lead a military victory? Are you going to accomplish everything we know Messiah is supposed to accomplish? And he was like, by the way, the kingdom is actually not of this world. By the way, there's a global plan of which you are a teeny weeny little yeah. foundational part. And my plan is for something much bigger than just the old kingdom restored. And so the fact that he's coming and he's coming back, A, sort of emphasizes the difficult fact for Christians that he is gone. You know, Mm. I know he's here theologically in the sense that he's here by his spirit. But when we pray, our Lord come, you know, Jesus come, we're saying, please come back because we want you here. You know, we want you in our midst along with us in the same way that you were with the disciples. We all want to experience that in a, the fullest way. And Revelation commentators and future commentators of people like that have been quite good in recent times at saying there's a sort of tension that's in the New Testament, the now and the not yet. You may have heard of that expression before. And it emphasizes the fact that some of the things that Jesus came to do have already happened. It's already at at play, you know, it's already at work. Yeah, he, he, he died. Yeah. He but he's alive. Paid the price. He, he, yeah. you know, it's all in here, isn't it? He yeah. know, freed us from our sins by his blood. But some of the things have still to come. But he is coming. But he still is yeah. coming and it yeah. still yeah. will happen. Yeah. Love it. So, I mean, we could literally comment on every verse and it would not be wasted breath. It's just utterly glorious, isn't mm. it? I love it. Um, but let's read on for the sake of time. So, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So he was in exile, wasn't he, for preaching about Jesus? Yeah. Verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira and Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands was one like the sun, like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of a roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun. 
shining in full strength. Oh my word. What <laughs> what a person is Gosh. this? So he's here, he's he I love this statement just up front. He says, I'm your brother. Mm-hmm. I'm not coming at you from some great height. Yeah. I'm a partner. We're in this together. We're all suffering. We're together. we're we're um I think that word is the same one we have for fellowship, isn't it? Koinonia. That, yeah. Um and the tribulation is interesting that tribulation is a very end timey kind of word but it literally means to be squeezed yeah. like at childbirth when a baby's sort of squeezed through the birth canal is that yeah absolutely etymologically this is the same root as the word travail you know yes. it's, it's the pain of things and john is a partner in the pain of things but he's Whereas, already they're already in that yeah to some extent absolutely yeah. and he's saying here it is i'm stuck here too and guess what this isn't going to last forever. We're all in pain. We're all suffering. We're all partners in this, but it's not going to last forever because he is overcoming it mm. amongst us. And I love that thing that he says, I was in the spirit yes. on the Lord's day because it's helpful <laughs> for charismatics like us. Isn't it? Because That's our one. <laughs> honestly, some people talk about the Holy Spirit and what they mean is um, that things are correct. You know, if I pray in the spirit, I'm praying correct prayers. Right, and if sure. I'm, you know, walking in the spirit, it means I'm walking correctly, ethically. And I'm like, yeah. no, it doesn't. Look <laughs> at it. He's in the spirit. He's having some amazing, intense yes. experience and he's yeah. being transported and he's being like having visions and he's seeing dreams. And John is presenting this as the basis of his of his apocalypse. He's not just talking as an academic and right. as a scholar and as a pastor or as a teacher. He's talking as an experiencer of the spirit so of God. Because cool. we look back mm. and we develop certain principles of um, obtaining guidance from God. And we say, oh, you shouldn't go on our feelings. It's mm. not kind of like this or that. But when we're in that moment of encounter with God, like John is, it's like, unless you use emotional kind of vocabulary you can't even describe it so yeah. he's constantly fishing for things yeah to to compare it to isn't he that's to what right. he's seeing and he's he's well we'll see in a minute <laughs> he's overcome isn't he yeah absolutely and but, the person he's describing is the same person who we know from previous texts he's deliberately using the language that daniel is sure. yeah. using to so describe similar, God. isn't it because he's saying, what I saw up there, that is the same as what they saw. Yeah. It is that epoch defining. It is that intense for me. You know, it was like looking at a person on fire, yet not being burned up. Incredible. Glorious, isn't it? Incredible. So then he goes on to mention those actual churches, Pete, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. And then he he hears this voice, this just like a trumpet. Yeah. <laughs> So he turns around, obviously. I, I love this. Just check verse 19. I turned to see the voice. Yes. So 12, verse 12. Yeah, turn to see the voice. I mean, that in itself is mystical language, mm. isn't it? It's kind of incorrect because you hear a voice, you don't see yeah. a voice. And yet he it's like a trumpet and you it's he turns to see what's going on, doesn't he? Yeah. Love it. Pow. And so then he sees one walking among the seven lampstands. What do we understand about the seven lampstands? I think the trick is to see them as seven specific lampstands amongst the forest of many lampstands. Right, so he goes on to say, doesn't he, that they're the seven churches. That's right. So there's there's these seven churches, these seven angelic messengers that correspond with each one, seven stars, 
And it emphasizes the fact this is a specific message to those people. I think every church in God's cosmos has a star and a lampstand and a messenger in that regard. I don't mm. think we should limit it down to there being only seven just because there's seven here. Right. I think it just correlates with who this letter was originally written to. Cool. And of course, seven is the number of completeness or something you know isn't it in, oh, look, in, in the, I, i'm gonna stop you right go there, on, go on go on stop me <laughs> i do think that there's a very very great danger that the numerology or the study okay. of mystical numbers yeah. in, in the bible can be quickly morphing into something that's profoundly unhelpful and it's not often clear where the line is so in general i'd say exercise caution when you think about sevens, twelves, nines, sixes, fours, it's obvious that John has some specific things that he means. It's clear to some Christian communities that seven means this or four means that. But we should remember there's no place in the Bible where that is the case. It doesn't tell us that. It doesn't it? give Explicitly. us the guide. No. And so we should always exercise caution when doing countings. Otherwise, we start ending up with those weird ballooning graphics yeah. that people draw up and it's like seven of these times 12 of those is a hundred and what's it of these and then you know divide <laughs> that by the eight of those and the 12 apostles and then we divide that by the square root of the oh. number we first thought of and boy oh boy <laughs> I, i've never seen anything helpful come of it yeah do you know what pete i'm so relieved because i i've never whenever i've been taught the book of revelation mm. it's always been along those kind of lines and i get so confused with the maths yeah and then i try and work it out myself and i'm not very good at maths anyway and i'm sure when it all shakes down it will all make sense and there will be a beautiful mathematic pattern to it Maybe. all as well and everything yeah. else but and how great will that be on that day but i think it does get us very very complicated very quickly doesn't it so it let's does. not even think about the numbers for the all minute. right so they'll come up later let's we'll look at verse 17 mm-hmm. um so hold on let's just read this last verse here because i want to say it again because okay. it's so cool in his right hand he held seven stars and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in its full strength so, literally coming out of his mouth, surely, the word of God. Yes. Two-edged sword. Yeah, the word of the Lord is sharper than a two-edged sword. It's living and active. It is himself in his identity. And I, I think this does pose a great kind of starter for 10 on literalism. Right. Because it's like, all right, so here's the person whose face burns with a flame of fire. It shines like the sun and the sword comes out of his mouth. So when me and Jesus do get to talk in heaven, when I'm finally there and I see him face to face and I know him even though even as I am known by him, is he going to have trouble talking because there's a big <laughs> sheet of metal flapping around in his head? No, no, this is a symbol. This is yeah. meant to kind of evoke the memory of all those precious things we've heard yes. and understood about the word of God and the power of it and its ability to kind of cleave between things yeah. and drive that pure line of truth into things. Excellent. I think... Take it as it is written and don't yeah. kind of rely on it to be literally true in all senses, in all cases, because yeah. later we'll see the same person appear as a lamb looking as though he'd been slain. Later we'll see him again sitting on a throne and speaking. And again, it's like the, the sword of, of the coming out of his mouth is not a part of that picture. And that's OK. Mm-hmm. It doesn't always have yeah. to have one. It's just that in this specific case, he's saying, look, he's speaking with this yeah. sharp two-edged sword the word of the lord which is his real identity it's so cool isn't it but the picture we get is this <clears throat> one of immense glory isn't mm. it and you know the kind of glory that we've become used to being a description of god 
himself yes. in the Old Testament writings. And mm-hmm. so now we have this one who is like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest mm-hmm. and you know, all these other incredible attributes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then verse 17, the only appropriate response really is, when I <laughs> saw <down>. him, <laughs> I, I fell at his feet as though dead. Yeah, But he laid his right hand on me, saying, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died. He did. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Mm. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. For as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Good. So that at least is that simple. These these stars and lampstands represent those seven. Yeah, it's nice when Jesus explains it. He's good to us, isn't he, that way? (laughs) And how much like like him is this? You know, somebody's fallen at their feet and they're dead. I like to try and imagine the emotional experience of this moment because this isn't a mild scholarly moment, Mm -hmm. is it? This is a catastrophic vision, which is thumping him to the floor he's probably thinking god has come to end my life i this is it i'm yeah and yet in comes the right hand to lay a touch just like he does with jairus's daughter just as he does with everybody that same hand which brings life and he says look it's not over yet i just need you to write something down for me beautiful pete oh so glorious i love it and and you you i think for me this incredible juxtaposition of memory must have been going on for for john Mm. because remember when he was a young lad of about 18 he would lie with his head on jesus's bosom yeah this is the same jesus (laughs) but it's like whoa i mean it's like now what yeah it's like what's happened to you i mean john obviously knows that jesus has died Mm -hmm. risen again and that his new body yeah (laughs) His new body is not like the old one because yep. he could appear, disappear, and mm. but still eat fish and stuff like that, yeah. which is amazing. But this is Jesus like John's never seen, isn't yeah. it? This he, is Jesus as he really is. I mean, I guess on be. the mountain when they saw him transfigured, yeah, yeah probably a bit like, like that. that but. I think so. And and in a way, it's helping us because Daniel said way back in. I think, Daniel 7, it all starts, where he sees the Ancient of Days mm-hmm. take his seat. and One like a son of man comes up with a great idea, by the way. We'll read that someday. But what, what is happening is John is saying this, this great idea, which the son of man brought before the Ancient of Days, way back in the exile, that has happened. Wow. And Jesus has come to the earth and he's died and he's been buried and he's been resurrected. And now he has ascended and become and sort of taken on his final form. You know, this is the supreme Lord of the universe, isn't mm. it? It's not just the gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Absolutely. It's not just the slightly anonymous carpenter from Nazareth. And neither is it the, the lamb looking as though he's been slain. You know, this is the revelation of Jesus as he really is. Incredible. You know, this, the great hope of the ages. It's so incredible. And I, I love that this is unambiguously Jesus, isn't it? Because Absolutely. he says, I'm the first and the last which is the same as saying the Alpha and the Omega, which sure. is one of God Almighty's I'm names. I'm the A to the Z. Yep. I died. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, God the Father didn't die. No. Nope. Holy Jesus Spirit sure didn't did. die, but Jesus did. Yeah. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. Mm-hmm. 
And I love as well that the book of Revelations we see when we go on through is unequivocally proclaiming the absolute deity of Jesus. Absolutely. He's not anywhere as a sort of secondary figure to God the Father. He is, this is his yes. patch, isn't it? This is him in his glory with the Father, with the Spirit, with mm-hmm. with all these massive ensembles of angels worshipping them yeah. and they worship them without no, separating them apart. Yeah, without they, needing to. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's the time when finally to all of earth and heaven, Jesus is revealed as the son of God and co-equal in, what was it? Um, it's Athanasius, a guy in the fourth century who tried to sort of solve the riddle mm-hmm. of the Trinity and give us a way of describing it. He said, you know, the father, the son, the, the Holy Spirit are all um, all God, all Lord, co-equal in glory, equal in majesty. We have to confess them all as God because yes. the Bible makes us. Yeah. But even if we don't understand it in our kind of normal way of reasoning it, here in Revelation, the reality is unequivocal, isn't it? As you mm. say, the Father and the Son are seated upon the throne. And later on, we'll we'll see them sat there together. And there's one throne and they're both there. Incredible. And he's the only one worthy. Ah. Uh. He is worthy to be praised and worshipped in a way that no created thing has ever been. And wow. that's what's so important Jesus, about it. We love you. <laughs> <laughs> wow. There you go. And so we're going to have another look at chapter two tomorrow. So God bless you. Whatever mm. you're doing today, have an amazing day. And remember, Jesus is putting his hand out and saying, Fear not, I'm the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Awesome. Cheers, Pete. Thanks, everybody.